Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for the beauty you have surrounded us with, for the sunshine after the rain. Lord God, we pray that you would speak to us today, that you would reveal yourself and show yourself to be present in our lives. Lord God, wherever we find ourselves, we pray that you would uh, encounter us, Lord, and speak into those, those broken, those painful places in our hearts, Lord, those places that need your healing and that maybe we're too scared to turn over to you. We pray that today you would break down those barriers and touch us there, Lord, and heal us. Lord God, we pray that you would speak and guide and lead us in your way today, Lord, and give me your words for your people. And may you draw us all into a deeper and more profound relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. Morning. It is so splendiferous to see you all today. Uh, now, when I was like 12 or 13 or so, uh, a young lad, my parents went out to dinner with some friends of theirs, and they put me in charge of my brother, who was three years younger than me, and their children. They had three children who were all my brother's age or younger. Right? And how much education had I had in babysitting at that point, you think? <laughs> Zero, right? They just said, okay, watch the kids. So I thought, all right. I can do this, right? And so what do you think watching the kids look like for me? Ed, you were obviously, maybe you were the same as me. Yeah, we just goofed around, right? I thought, let's just do what's fun. Let's do what's fun. So we had like a pillow fight. We ran around the house screaming. Uh, we jumped off the couch. We... Uh, uh, we got in the like the master bedroom of my parents' friend's house, and they had a huge bed, and we were doing gymnastics, like flips, like on the bed, and like, um, there were five of us on there too, right? So we're all like jumping and slamming on each other, and it was a lot of fun, trying to touch the ceiling off the bed, right? All those fun things. It was great till I did this like four front flip thing, and didn't quite get all the way around, and then like kind of came back and another of the kids uh, like was jumping up and her tooth, like her mouth came down right on my head as I was kind of bouncing back up um, and kind of stuck there. Well, I mean, it stuck just for a little bit and then it popped out, you know, and uh, maybe that's why I always have like food on my mind or eating on my mind is because I had a tooth in my head. But uh, needless to say, when uh, our parents came home, they were not impressed with my stewardship of the children, right? They had, to be fair, they hadn't really told me what I was supposed to do. I had no idea. I thought it was just fun, fun and games. Um, but my dad, was, who's a doctor, right, decided to scrub out my wound on my scalp, and needless to say, he was not so kind with that fingernail brush on my, my uh, raw scalp where that tooth had been stuck. But needless to say, when you put someone in charge of something that matters to you, you expect that when you get back, how will that object be or that thing be? Same shape or better, right? The same shape or better. It's kind of an implied reality, which I should have known, but my... 12-year-old, 13-year-old mind did not process it so well. 
In the Gospel of Matthew, we have a similar situation going on. Right? We're right at the end of the parables. There's been a long section of parables uh, in which is uh, this whole section is what is called the Olivet Discourse. So the Olivet Discourse comes right after the cheese discourse and right before the main discourse. Right? And then it finishes with dessert. It's really a nice four-course meal. No, um, why do you think it's called the Olivet Discourse? Olive trees, there you go, olive trees. Now, can you think of a place in Jerusalem that's known for olive trees or olives? The Mount of Olives, right? So this is called the Olivet Discourse because it's delivered where, you think? On the Mount of Olives, there you go. That's right, Mount of Olives is right next to on top of spaghetti. They're (laughs) close to each other, too. Um, (laughs) So... um, now I've lost you for the whole rest of the sermon because you're going to be thinking of that, right? No, so there, um, and so uh, this, the passage right after this is the closes out the Olivet discourse, and that is the uh, final judgment passage about the sheep and the goats and the left and the right, and as you did unto so and so, right? Remember that passage? Um, that's right after this one, and that ends the Olivet discourse, and then right after that. Jesus and his disciples, they go to the Last Supper. And after the Last Supper, you'll remember, they go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is betrayed, goes to trial, and is crucified. So that's where this appears in our gospel, in the gospel of Matthew. So if Jesus is going to leave his followers with a final word, a final image, you would think he would make it a real doozy, right? And this is a doozy, but it's also confusing. It's a confusy in addition to being a doozy, right? So let's just dive on into it and see if we can have a common understanding of what Jesus is saying here. So he sets it up in this way. A man's going away on a journey, and he calls together three of his slaves, and he puts them in charge of pieces of his property. To the first one, he gives him five talents. The second one, he gives him two. And the third? One. That's right. So like we spoke about a month or so ago, a talent was a unit of measure. In the Old Testament, it was a weight. A talent was a certain amount of weight. It was like a kilogram or a pound or something like that. Um, but, and I'm not saying that it weighed as much as a kilogram or a pound. It was, I can't remember how much it weighed. Because by the time we got to the New Testament, it was an amount of money. And it was the equivalent of 6,000 drachmas. That's a lot, huh? I mean, how many drachmas do you guys have? (laughs) Well, 6,000 drachmas was about 20 years wages for a laborer. Okay? So we're going to do a little math here. I know you're thinking you don't have to do math, you're not in school any longer, but here you go. So say we'll say $15 an hour is the laborer's wage. And they work 2,000 hours in a year. How much is that? 2,000 times 15. 30,000. 30, 30,000. There you go. I saw you using your calculators. Good word. $30,000, right? And a, and a talent is 20 years wages. So let's multiply 30,000 times 20. $600,000 is a talent in our today's equivalent, basically. If we were saying I had a talent, it would be $600,000. So slave one is invested with charging 
a cool $3 million. That, I mean, that's pocket change for most of us. But back then, that was a lot of money, right? Uh, slave 2 is given $1.2 million to invest. And slave 3 is given $600,000. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that seems like a lot of money. Right? I don't typically just hand that out to people and say, will you take care of this for me? Interestingly, though, they're given different amounts of money for a reason, the passage says. It says, each was given according to his ability. To his ability, right? So they were given what could be trusted to them according to what the master felt that they could invest wisely or care for wisely. So as soon as five talent gets the money, he puts it to use on the stock market or starts a business or whatever you do with $3 million, and he doubles it. He doubles it. Now this guy's great, right? Amazing. Uh, two talent in the same way goes and doubles the money as well. Pretty exceptional, both these two guys. One talent, though, he's the outlier. He's the different one, and I always am curious about the different ones in these parables. Right? It's important to pay attention to them. Because what does one talent do? Buries it in the ground, right? Not a bad idea, huh? No, it's a terrible idea, right? Well, he didn't, at least he didn't lose it. At least he didn't forget where he buried it. And so after a long time, the master of the slaves comes home, and he settles accounts with them. This goes 66.666% great. Right? The first two have a great earnings report. They've doubled the investment, and they both get the same response from the master. Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So five talent and two talent are identical. They both doubled their money. They both were praised. They both are told they were trusted with a little. Now they're here. Now here is a lot to be entrusted with. Now that's crazy because I thought six million dollars was a lot of money. But according to the master, six million dollars is nothing. Six million dollars is just a taste of what's to come. Now he's going to entrust them with great things. And then there's the other guy, right? There's one talent. And one talent chooses an interesting way of presenting the money back to his master. He begins by insulting him, which is really, you know, it's creative, I guess. Maybe it'd throw him off his, throw him on his heels or something. Master, I know, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. What does that mean? It means he's a thief. He's a thief. Reaping where you did not sow, you're, you're taking something that someone else has reaped, or you're reaping what someone else has sown, and you're gathering where someone else has scattered. See, you're taking what belongs to other people. I know who you are. You are corrupt and wicked. You're a thief. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Now, advice. If you're going to choose to do nothing, at least be good at covering it up. <laughs> right? Like, Master, I was concerned over the volatility of the market, and so I wanted to diversify in land or mining operations. <laughs> However, you can, like, recast your just digging a hole in the ground and putting the money in it. It's kind of like a mining operation, isn't it? The Master, though, replies, 
you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was mine with interest. Now notice the master never affirms that one talent is correct. He never says, oh yeah, I steal things all the time. That's just one talent's view of the master. It's not necessarily true. But rather he says, one talent, if you're really afraid of me, if you really think I'm corrupt and mean and all those things you accuse me of, it should have made you work a lot harder and get and present to me something good because you know I don't treat people nicely or you think you knew that I don't treat people nicely who cross me. You should have covered your bases a little more effectively, one talent. But the result of this, the result of one talent and his actions and words is that he gets the talent taken from him and given to the one who has ten talents. And it says, For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, everybody loves a happy ending, huh? So remember, remember where we are in our context. Jesus is preparing to die. He is preparing to leave his disciples. And this is one of the last things he will talk to them about. Why this passage? Why this message? Well, like the master, Jesus is leaving and he is entrusting his gifts to people. His talents, he's entrusting them to his disciples who will be there after he goes. Now, when I was young and stupid, I just thought goofing off was a good way to care for what had been entrusted to me. But since I've matured and become so much wiser, well, in some ways I've learned lessons, right? In some ways I've learned lessons, but I know that it's not a good policy to be foolish with what somebody has entrusted you with, right? I know that's true. I don't always act that way, but I know it's true. And that's what Jesus is calling his disciples to do, is to be wise with what he's entrusted to them. In the military, we were taught that uh, if you were given a job by your superiors, you were given that job with three things. You were given the tasks, the task, the conditions, and the standards. Did anybody else hear this in the military? Right? So you were told your task. So let's apply this to our parable. Right? What is the task that Jesus was speaking to his disciples about here? Or in the parable, what was the task that these three slaves had to do? Yeah, like to care for the resources of the master was the task, right? The conditions. Now, conditions was, I don't know why they used this word for the military. But this is like what you were given. What were the conditions that you had for your task? Right, and so in this parable, it would be, well, they were given varying amounts of talents and abilities, or in our particular parable, they were given money, a certain amount of money. And they also, it's implied, but not stated, that they also knew the preferences of the master. The master did not want them to just stick it in the ground, right? He wanted to see that increase. And if we apply this to ourselves, we can say, well, do we know what God wants us to do with what he's given us? Do we know? How can we find out? Where can we look to find out what God's priorities are for our lives? The Bible, right? The Bible. So we're given in the conditions, 
we're given in the Bible the conditions for how we are to invest what God has given us. What are we supposed to do with what God has entrusted to us? Those things are there in the scriptures. And the standards. Well, the standards are also there in the scriptures. Uh, and it also tells us that we are to invest those things well because Jesus is coming back and there will be an accounting. Those were the standards that these three slaves worked under. The master would return and there would be an accounting. They would eventually have to give back what God had given them, what the master had given them. I think that very seldom in our lives, at least for me, I take the time to actually reflect on this parable and what it means for me. Right? It's easy to kind of say, oh yeah, talents, and go through and say, oh yeah, I need to do good things for God, or be kind, or generous, or whatever that happens to be. But have we done an accounting of what God has entrusted to us? Have we really sat down and looked and prayed and contemplated over what God has entrusted to you and to me? What are those things? What are those talents? What is it God has given you? And then the following question, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? Are we like slave one and two, wisely trying to invest what God has given us? Out there serving, out there loving and caring and preaching the gospel and caring for the poor and the oppressed and um, seeking to see this world transformed for the glory of God? How are we doing that side? Caring for God's creation, caring for what he's given to us? Are we doing that? Or are we like slave number three? One talent, burying what God has given us in the ground and considering the whole time that the Lord is a horrible master, corrupt, not worthy of our labor, afraid of him. How are we living? I hope that this week we'll spend some time praying over that. We'll take some time away from our busy lives. We'll just sit in a place of quiet and contemplation Pray and ask God that he would show us what he's entrusted to us. Show us the talents. And he'll show us his priorities for how to invest those. And that you and I, by the grace of God, will do that in gratitude, knowing that it is not our investments that will save us, but rather the grace and mercy of our Savior Jesus Christ, who was faithful with the talents that the Father entrusted to him. May we walk in love this week and seek to know God better and give ourselves to him more so that he can use us powerfully to proclaim his name and to bless this world. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being the God of grace and mercy. Thank you for being the God who entrusts uh, your wonderful gifts to us, Lord. We're not worthy of what you've given us Lord, and, let you, and yet you choose to abundantly bless us. Lord God, help us to see these blessings, to see these talents, to see these abilities you have given us, Lord, not as something we have earned or something we deserve, but as something which belongs to you and will be returned to you with a reckoning. Lord, that day of reckoning will come, and help us to prepare for it by being wise and faithful in our investment. 
Lord God. Help us to be like those first two slaves, eagerly anticipating your return. We confess, Lord, that we're often like that third, hiding what you've given us in the ground. Lord God, we're sorry. We confess to you our failure and our hardness of heart. And we ask, Lord God, that you would strengthen us to go out into this world and to serve you faithfully. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.